Darkness is not an affirmative force. It simply reoccupies the space vacated by the light. This is the Hamilton Quarter on American Family Radio. It should be uncomfortable for a believer to live as a hypocrite. Delivering people out of the bondage of mainstream media. And the philosophies of this world. God has called you and me to be his ambassadors. Even in this dark moment. Let's not miss our moment. And now, the Hamilton Corner. Good evening. Welcome to the Hamilton Corner here on American Family Radio. I'm your host, Abraham Hamilton III. Joined by Mr. Rob Gardner. Today, I've been the last couple days uh, just digging in a little bit, trying to make some connections uh, for us between the importance of disciple making and our engagement in the public sphere, including, not limited to, but including in the governmental sphere. <clears throat> Having said that, though, before we get going, this won't be a part three of yesterday, <laughs> so don't worry. <laughs> I have some other things to, 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 to discuss, but um, I do want you to keep some of the things we talked about this week so far uh, in the back of your minds as we talk about the things we discuss here today. Well, I pray um, most of you now at the place where we are, many of our states are opening back up. Some of you are going back to a different part-time job schedule. And as you're making that transition, if you are among that number or if you are still in a pattern where you are integrating your part-time work and your full-time work, uh, please, please, please do not allow your family to become uh, window dressing to your life. Please make sure your family is prioritized appropriately. I've said before and I will say again uh, that much of what we see happening in society around us, um, to be honest. And I, and I know this is, this is hard to discuss. Um, you know, even my wife and I were having some conversations about this. Um, when talking with people about the central role, role that the family plays in discipling, it's it offspring in, multi-generation, in a multi-generational facet, um, I know that there are scores of people who feel themselves just bearing up under the weight of conviction. And I understand that. I understand that. I take no pleasure in saying these kinds of, saying the kinds of things, but I think it's important to say. So much of it, there are people, and I've even, even had conversations with people in person that said, man, if I'd have known that when I was younger, I would have done things differently. And so in response, I've said, well, now that you know, I know there's someone around you who needs to know what you know now. So it's not, it's not over. There's nothing that's over. But in order to be effective in being salt and light, in order to be effective as God's ambassadors, we have to know what target we're aiming at. We have to. So as we're sharing and having these conversations, my, my, my hope and prayer is that we collectively, as the family of God, in the places that, that, need to be, that, that need to be strengthened, that we need to respond to, that we haven't responded to in times past, that we would do so. One of the unfortunate phenomenons that have kind of seeped in into our discharge of Christianity in our country 
And when I say our country, I'm not one of these people that are, that are going American Christianity. But there are things that the body of Christ encounters all over the world. You know, there are things about Christianity in China that the Chinese have to deal with. You know, one of the things that I think has affected us is because, and I believe this wholeheartedly, uh, I believe in rugged individualism. I believe in personal accountability. I believe in the reality. I experienced it. My, my mom grew up in the Desire Projects in New Orleans, Louisiana. My dad grew up literally sleeping on dirt floors, floors in Houston, Texas. But this is a country that you can change your progeny's trajectory. And you can do it in one generation. It can happen. But one of the things that I think that has happened is that, and this comes with the deficiency concerning discipleship, that the kind of rugged individualism has also been applied within Christendom in many instances. When the facts are, brothers and sisters, the Christian faith was not meant to be lived out in isolation. It wasn't meant to be lived out in an individualistic mindset. It doesn't mean we don't have individuals, but you have scripture that says things like bearing with one another <laughs> in love. That requires one anothering. You have scriptures that say things like that. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Better is open rebuke than secret love. These are indications that there are things that happen within context because the facts are every single human being who walks the face of the earth, the only exclusion is the hypostatic union Jesus Christ himself. But other than them, other than him, every single human being in this world has blind spots. Every single one of us. And the Lord is so aware of that. He said, you know what? I'm going to fit you as members of a body. When I stroll in your studio, guess what? I don't have eyes in the back of my head. Rob is able to say, hey, Abe, you got something on your collar. You get what I'm saying? So that, that's just one of the areas that sometimes I think that the, the kind of a cultural rugged individualism we have almost exported into Christianity in our country to where we've become all too comfortable with the lack of making disciples and the lack of being discipled and the lack of discipleship because, because we have exported within to our understanding of Christendom the cultural phenomenon like rugged individualism. Does that make sense? All right. So I'm sharing what I'm sharing in hopes by the Spirit of God that we may recognize Man, we have much to be repentant about. And the word repentance comes from the Greek word metanoia in terms of its usage in the New Testament. It is a compound word, meta meaning with, noia with the mind, with the mind to turn. So that we not only come under the weight of the conviction, but the Bible tells us godly sorrow worketh repentance. That we, we, we bear up under the weight of that conviction and then we make the adjustments that are necessary. All right, and with that, we're going to go to Psalm 51. This is a psalm that David penned after his, uh, <laughs> I've heard some people describe it as an adulterous affair with Bathsheba. But if you, if you dig into the Hebrew verbiage, you realize it wasn't quite a mutual consenting engagement from the beginning. The Bible gives us specific insight, even in the English transliterations, that, that David's pursuit of Bathsheba wasn't really interpersonal. He sent messengers and the Bible consistently says and he took Bathsheba and took Bathsheba. I would submit to you that it's a bit more going on than adultery. 
And so after Nathan confronted David, he pins this Psalm 51. I'm just going to point two verses out here. In Psalm 51, in verses 16 and 17, David writes, For you will not delight in sacrifice, or I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. O God, you will not despise. What I want to highlight today in light of what what we've been talking about. And I'm grateful for the private communications I've gotten. I've had people ask me, well, Abe, practically, how do I go about making disciples? David is, is writing at this time. He's like, Lord, you, you, you're not delight. The, the sacrifices, what's a sacrifice if it's not an accurate reflection of a heart condition? What pleases you, Father, is a broken spirit and a contrite heart, a brokenness and contrition. The Lord does not despise brokenness and contrition. So as we've been going about these last couple days, and you recognize, man, I missed it on that one. The Lord simply requires brokenness and contrition that we recognize. I missed that. And the Bible says faithful, faithful are the wounds of a friend, of a friend. In many ways, in many ways, without that faithful wound from a friend, many of us may not come face to face with our sinfulness. You know, for for many of us, it's far easier for us to diagnose sinfulness in other people than it is to confront our own sin. You know, I often pray that, Lord, that the sin I want to be most grieved over is my own. I don't want to be a top-notch first-round draft pick at pointing out everybody else's flaws. And then I'm nose blind to my own violations and grievousness before the Lord. And so once again, the Lord knows that so well, so well. He puts us, he fits us into his body. The Bible talks about this. He fits us into his body in local assemblies according to his spirit. That will enable us to do life together. Every single one of us, every single one of us could benefit from having godly, loving, mature brothers. For some of our sisters, mature, not for some of our sisters. The Bible talks about uh, older women and younger women, older men and younger women. Mature sisters that will walk with us. Through our growing pains. I think what a part of the way that we know that that may not be happening as much because it's so easy for us to discard people when they mess up. And the only way we can do that is if we become ignorant concerning our own depravity before the Lord. You know. That. We, we, we apply that sliding scale. My sin, little bitty, 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 bitty. Your sin, you need the James Earl Jones voice. How dare you? How dare you? 
And it is far too easy for us in the body of Christ, in the United States of America, in the 21st century, to lament about the worldliness of the ungodly, to lament about uh, these, these people who are in positions of power who have no regard for the Constitution, people who are in positions of power have no regard for individual liberties and religious liberties. And what I'm saying, you hear, you, if you listen to the show, you know I talk about those things as well. But what I'm saying is okay. Now, if our constitutional republic is only fit for holy, religious, and moral people, how have we been engaged in the process of making disciples? I've heard some lament, oh, Abraham, Christianity is being pushed to the margins. We need to file this lawsuit. We need to do these things. And I'm saying, wait a minute. Will we have so many people trying to find the way to find a way to assert, for example, uh, atheistic inclinations and indoctrination to our children in schools if we had been more effective in making disciples? In some instances, we're looking to find a legal or political answer to a problem that was created as a result of a neglect to make disciples. You see what I'm saying? And so I'm simply saying, I am encouraging us to invite the Holy Spirit to search our hearts, man. And again, if you're hearing this stuff and you're like, ah, this, I, this doesn't apply to me. Praise be to God. I worship God with you in that. But I know that there are lots of people who are listening to me. They recognize, man, that's me. I've been looking for a political answer to a problem that really should have been addressed through evangelism and discipleship. I've been putting all of my eggs in this basket, and I have been neglecting the Great Commission's execution. And to that, all I was simply saying is if that is what you recognize, the Lord's mercy is anew every morning. His mercy is accessible to us now to make a reverse. It's like a transmission on the car. Yeah, that thing, you can throw it in the drive, but you also can put it in reverse. And we can change course. And in this moment, and as, as I say repeatedly, the Lord isn't calling for you to try to win the entire world. He just requires us to be effective and winning our start in Jerusalem. And a part of the introduction can be, if you have to go to your loved ones and confess and repent before them, that's a great place to begin and to chart a new course going forward. Maybe you can relate to this. A lot of people think they're stuck with their health plan. It costs too much or for whatever reason, they just don't like it. But great news, you are not stuck with it. There is a choice. It's called MediShare and you could save so much. The typical savings for a family is 500 bucks a month. Major difference maker. This is the affordable alternative to health insurance. And just to give you a little more info about MediShare, it's a Christian healthcare sharing ministry. It's worked beautifully for 26 years, has more than 400,000 members, and they've shared over $3 billion of each other's medical bills. So yes, they can help share your needs too. So you're not stuck. There's an excellent alternative, whether you're single or married, you got a family, MediShare is super flexible. You can choose an option that works for you and start saving lots of money. 
You can join anytime. They're great to talk to. No pressure. Call 833-44-BIBLE. That's 833-44-BIBLE. 833-44-BIBLE. Brian Fisher here with today's Life and Liberty Minute. A new and unproven drug called remdesivir has been anointed as the standard of care in treating victims of the Chinese virus. Yet hydroxychloroquine, or HCQ, has been proven effective against corona and has been used since 1944 and is virtually free of side effects. You can get a generic prescription at Fred Meyer for $14.95. Remdesivir costs $4,500 for a course of treatment, and one of its side effects is liver failure. So why remdesivir? No pharmaceutical company will make any money off HCQ, but Gilead Sciences, which spent $2.5 million lobbying the White House in the last three months, will make $2 billion off remdesivir. That may be the only explanation we need. Catch Brian Fisher on Focal Point, weekday afternoons at 105 Central on American Family Radio. Shining light into the darkness, this is the Hamilton Corner on American Family Radio. Welcome back to the Hamilton Corner here on American Family Radio. Shall we commence to addressing the foolishness du jour? Sure is a lot of it. Oh, let me say this, too, to start. Um, I, like many of you, I just saw today, um, man, the, the video that was recently released in the shooting death of Ahmad Arbery. And I just want you to know that I, I just saw that video today. I'm doing some digging and some research. There are a lot of moving parts in this case. The actual shooting took place. On February 23rd, yeah, uh, but two prosecutors have recused themselves from the case, and the current prosecutor, a man by the name of Tim, Tim Durden, who was appointed by the Georgia, this is a case out of Georgia, uh, by the Georgia Attorney General, uh, he just got the case last week, knows nothing about it, and so I'm going to be digging into that um, and discussing it once I'm, I'm up to speed on the case, but my preliminary delving into it, there's some things that are not lining up with that case. But I wanted to let you know that uh, some may be tuning in expecting me to respond to that. Uh, you know, I try to resist the inclination to weigh in on something before I know much about it, you know, and uh, I may not always be the first one to discuss it. So... I think some of you guys know these things by now, but I try to be uh, appropriate when I do get to them. Now, let me get to this case. Uh, this one hits kind of hard. This is a case out of Dallas, the Shelley Luther case. She's the owner of a hair salon in Dallas. Uh, it's called, I have the name of it here, Salon a la Mode. Um, and again, this hits close to home. I come from a family of cosmetologists. My mom was a cosmetologist. My sisters. Uh, so Shelley Luther previously w w com complied with the, I guess you could only uh, describe it now as a uh, house arrest <laughs> at these shelter in place things. And she finally said, listen, I, I can't continue to have my work deemed as unessential. I have staff that I need to feed and, and I have children that depend on me to provide for them. So in contravention to 
the shelter-in-place instructions, Miss <clears throat> Luther opened her hair salon. And she was ultimately, ultimately, and this, this is where, hmm, I'll, I'll just go into it. Uh, she was ultimately arrested for violating those orders. And, and this, and this <laughs> is when uh, you recognize uh, that you have some people, man, that they're, they're, they're lost in the sauce on power trips. You know, and I want to ask you, and, and again, the backdrop for this is, you know, if we have not had viable candidates in our areas, have we been making disciples sufficiently to raise up viable candidates in our areas for the various public servant positions? All right. Shelley Luther was arrested and brought before a Dallas County judge, a judge by the name of Eric Moyer. Eric Moyer. I would m remind you. I would remind you that this is a county. And see this sometimes when these stories discussed, people don't add this into the conversation. This is a county that released hardened criminals from jail out of concern for the transmission of the coronavirus. But they're going to arrest Shelley Luther, who, by the way, has no criminal history. She's just a hardworking businesswoman trying to provide for her family. Rob says he has a little audio for us uh, on this. Whenever you're ready, let her rip, Rob. Judge, I would like to say that I have much respect for this court and laws and that I've never been, been in this position before. And it's not some place that I want to be, but I have to disagree with you, sir, when I when you say that I'm selfish, because feeding my kids is not selfish. I have hairstylists that are going hungry because they'd rather feed their kids. So, sir, if you think the law is more important than kids getting fed, then please go ahead with your decision. But I am not going to shut the salon now to give you a little bit of context, that audio that you just heard came from Shelly Luther in court, but she was responding. This is what I want you to know, and this is what I'm talking about with the power tripping. She was responding to the Dallas judge, Eric Moyer, informing her, well, Miss Luther, you have the option of what sentence I will employ. You, you get what I'm saying? You have a choice. All I need you to do, you tell me if this sounds familiar to you. All I need you to do, this is what the judge told Shelly, Shelly Luther. All I need you to do is to, quote, acknowledge that you were wrong and that you were selfish and that you need to apologize to the elected officials for violating their orders. Y'all hear what I said? Yeah. See, the judge dangled in front of Shelly Luther that you don't have to go to jail. You don't have to go to jail. But you, are, but you just simply need to acknowledge that you were wrong, that you have been selfish, and that you need to apologize to the elected officials for violating their orders. Now, play it one more time for me. This is how Shelley Luther responded to that invitation from Judge Moyer. Judge, I would like to say that I have much respect for this court and laws and that I've never been, been in this position before, and it's not some place that I want to be, but... I have to disagree with you, sir, when, I, when you say that I'm selfish, 
because feeding my kids is not selfish. I have hairstylists that are going hungry because they'd rather feed their kids. So, sir, if you think the law is more important than kids getting fed, then please go ahead with your decision. But I am not going to shut the salon. Now, after. This is what how Shelley Luther responded to the judge. He sentenced her to a week in jail and a seven thousand dollar fine. Now, is that justice, ladies and gentlemen? Is that justice? And I've shared with you before that. In an emergency circumstance, governors, municipal authorities and others, they do have the constitutional authority to implement temporary restrictions in view of a widely recognized emergency. That is equally applied. You mean to tell me he couldn't have applied some type of sentence short of putting her sending her sentencing her to a week in jail and a seven thousand dollar fine? You see what I'm saying? <laughs> and now, and now, the Texas governor has gotten involved. <laughs> Texas governor, Greg Abbott, has come out today rebuking this district court judge, saying this, quote, this is Governor Abbott, quote, I joined the attorney general and disagreeing with the excessive action by the Dallas judge, putting Shelley Luther in jail for seven days. As I've made clear through prior pronouncements, jailing Texans for noncompliance with executive orders should always be the last available option. Compliance with executive orders during this pandemic is important to ensure public safety. However, surely there are less restrictive means to achieving that goal than jailing a Texas mother. Now, I talked about this case on today's issues earlier on our president, Tim Wildman's show. Um, and I didn't know that apparently they had already taken her to jail because I said there she's going to appeal this and she's going to win. Because this is clearly an excessive, I would argue, an abuse of this judge's authority. Uh, because she could have posted an appeal bond and as she's appealing the case, continue to be out free. I don't know if she used, took, that, took advantage of that mechanism. Uh, but now you have the governor who, by the way, has the pardon power. Coming to this woman's defense. And this, again, is in a county where they're releasing hardened criminals from jail. Because of the Wuhan flu. But you're going to put this woman in jail because she wants to run her business. And, oh, by the way, the state of Texas is opening back up this Friday for her, her enterprise anyway. You didn't have to. He did it because he was upset. The judge was reeling from a Napoleon-type complex, and he could not believe that she had the audacity to disagree with him. Not only did the governor weigh in, the Texas Attorney General, Ken Paxton, has weighed in as well. He said this, quote, I find it outrageous and out of touch that during this national pandemic, a judge in a county that actually released hardened criminals, did I just say that? Released hardened criminals for fear of contracting COVID-19 would jail a mother for operating her hair salon in an attempt to put food on her family's table. 
The trial judge did not need to lock up Shelley Luther. His order is a shameful abuse of judicial discretion, which seems like another political stunt in Dallas. He should release Miss Luther immediately. Now, I'm not going to even go into all of the different ties about the judge being an Obama supporter, which I believe is accurate. He having connections to the ACLU, which very well may be accurate. But what I want you to be aware of is that this and this folks, this should have been an easy case that this this is not a difficult case. It's not a difficult case. But what I am saying, what I am saying. I'm going to say it, I'm going to read it again from what then Congressman James Garfield said. Let me pull it up here. I got it right here. Yes. Congressman Garfield said this, and this was during his, and I referred to this yesterday, during his January 4th, 1876 address on the centennial celebration of the Declaration of Independence. I'm not going to read the whole quote, just this portion. He said this, quote, if the next centennial, by 1976, does not find us a great nation, it will be because those who represent the enterprise, the culture, and the morality of the nation do not aid in controlling its political forces. Simply put, we can contribute to the type of leaders we have, but it requires us to do the hard work of making disciples in our environment. Going right along with the same, to show that things, man, we're in desperate need of repentance in our nation. Many of us during this a Wuhan flu response. We've been apprised to Zoom meeting after Zoom meeting after Zoom meeting. We're, we're doing digital work, you know, working remotely and all of this kind of stuff. Well, you know who else is doing remote work? Abortionists. There's been a surge in the usage of telemedicine to provide advice to women seeking abortions. This is sad, man. There's been an increase, particularly, here we go, here we go, in several states that have stringent abortion restrictions, there has been an increase in the usage of telemedicine, telemedical advice, to advise women how to apply uh, abortifacient pills to induce chemical abortion. Organization Doctors Without Borders is teaming up with other organizations to expedite and expand the usage of telemedicine for abortion purposes. And I think it's fitting that tomorrow's a national day of prayer. Folks, we need to cry out to the Lord, man. We need to cry out to the Lord. We, ha we have much, we have much to cry out to the Lord about. I'll, I'll share this next story. Um, it's not much as, as much of a story as it is an update. Um, and I, um, it's not that I'm speeding by the tele, telemedicine piece, but a lot of us are already aware of the proliferation of the murder merchandising in our country. And it's continuing. It's continuing. 
I shared with you that the university, that Harvard University was having its uh, secret homeschooling, or really it should be called an anti-homeschooling conference, June 18th and 19th. And uh, I, I, I was banting around the idea of trying to maybe stealthily attend on my own. Uh, but I've gotten word that it's been canceled. The secret, the secret anti-homeschooling conference has been canceled at Harvard. Some of the participants reported that they received a direct email from Harvard University informing them that the conference is no longer happening this summer. So they, they added that this summer in it. So we'll have to be vigilant, continue to watch. Uh, I completely doubt that they have shelved the conference com totally. Uh, they perhaps may be waiting for a more opportune season <laughs> uh, to have it. I do know that there were lots of Harvard alumnus, Harvard alumni, many of whom were homeschool graduates. Uh, they expressed their disdain with the university for hosting such a conference. Um, I don't know if that's the reason why uh, in the reasonings that they've shared as to why in their private emails as to why that they're canceling and they blamed COVID-19. But <laughs> I wonder why they didn't send that out a, way, a while ago if, if it actually was in response, in response to COVID-19. But nevertheless, it's, it's good news that they're not having that conference anymore. Ruby on Facebook said, God shut it down. Well, Ruby, you find no disagreements with me. No disagreements with me, that's for sure. I have several other issues I want to get to, but I know. Yeah, see, I knew it. I could feel it. I didn't even hear the disrespectful music. I didn't want to get started on the story, and then the music cut me off. Because I have a couple other things I want to show you. Because, folks, y'all know it. You can feel it. Even if you don't know the specific stories, you can feel it that we have reached a crazy time in our nation. Where we have people who are literally <laughs> disconnected from reality. And many of these people have positions of power. But I'm not hopeless. Because it ain't over until he says it's over. And if God has given you and I breath in our lungs with the mandate he's given us in his word, today is the day for us to be about our father's business. And we must stand until we meet him in glory. Duty is ours, but results are his. Some Christians, at least, will rise up and say, no, no, I'm not. And so right away, I realized that this is not a cake that I can create. I'm not baking your cake. I'm not making your floral arrangement. I'm not photographing your so-called same-sex wedding ceremony. No, I'm not doing that. Because the Word of God teaches that what you're doing is an abomination to God, and I am not going to participate. The Awakening with Bishop E.W. Jackson. Weekdays at noon central on American Family Radio. What would you do? I'm Sadie. I appreciate your thought behind the gift card, but I just can't take it. I promise not to shop at Target because they allow men in areas that need to be private and protected for women and children. I hope you'll go to afa.net slash Target and learn about it. 
I'm not giving them my money. Aunt Sadie didn't know about AFA's call to boycott Target, but she knows now, and so do you. Learn even more at afa.net slash target. afa.net slash target. You know, some stories demonstrate the urgent need for God's Word, and I believe that Lilithas is one of them. This is Bible League International, engaging the world with God's Word for more than 80 years at only $5 a Bible. Lalitha was raised as a Hindu in India. She was forced into an arranged marriage at an early age, and her husband was killed tragically in an accident. Penniless and alone, Lalitha was sold into a prostitution ring for 10,000 Indian rupees, no more than 130 U.S. dollars, and lived in utter hopelessness for many years before a former prostitute introduced her to Jesus, the great lover of her soul. Lalitha said, peace and hope flooded my heart, and she learned to share Christ and led more than 100 Hindus to Jesus before dying tragically of AIDS. If this story demonstrates the urgent need of God's Word, you can help. Visit sendbiblesnow.org. Sendbiblesnow.org or call Bible League at 800 Yes Word. 800 Y E S W O R D. Hello, Americans. I'm Todd Starnes with news and commentary next. At Liberty University, we believe in honoring service. That's why we offer first responder and military communities deep discounts on all of our 450-plus online programs. Military students, veterans, and spouses pay just $250 per credit hour for undergraduate and $275 to $300 per credit hour for graduate and Ph.D. courses. First responders receive a 25% tuition discount, and those who qualify may be able to use both discounts for even greater savings. It's our way to say thank you for all you do. To learn more, text AGREE to 49595. It's been almost 50 days since the national quarantine went into effect. First, they told us two weeks, and now, well, here we are. A handful of states are preparing to reopen, but places like California, New York, Virginia, well, who knows how long that's going to last. Honestly, it feels like we're under house arrest. But some business owners are fighting back, even at the risk of severe fines or criminal records. Elliot Rabin owns Peter Elliot, a high-end boutique in New York City. A new suit there would set you back around $15,000. Mr. Rabin has decided to reopen his business, says it's the only way to save his company and the livelihoods of his 21 workers. He dismissed concerns that he might get fined or even arrested, telling the New York Post, we don't live in a police state. It's a good point. I mean, what right does the government have to tell a business whether or not they are essential? I'm Todd Starnes. The Hamilton Quarter Podcast and one-minute commentaries are available at AFR.net. Back to the Hamilton Quarter on American Family Radio. Welcome back to the Hamilton Corner here in American Family Radio. I have a couple other things I want to get to before we run out of time. Here today. So first, let me go here. Back in early April, Lighthouse Fellowship Church in Chincoteague, Virginia, laboring under the fascist-like policies, a Governor Ralph will deliver the baby, keep him comfortable, then decide whether or not we want to keep him or kill him, Northrum in Virginia. Goodness gracious. Governor of Northam banned <laughs> churches from gathering in groups larger than 10, larger than 10 people. All right. Lighthouse Fellowship Church in Chincoteague, Virginia, had a 225 seat auditorium, but had a church service 
that had 16 people present. The 16 people present were physically distanced sufficiently. They had complied with rigorous hygienic protocols. Nevertheless, <laughs> Governor Northam's people cited Pastor Kevin Wilson of the Lighthouse Fellowship Church for violating his order. <laughs> this, is, this is remarkable. That said, thankfully, <laughs> the Department of Justice has filed a statement of interest in the case in federal court. Assistant Attorney General Eric Dryben said, quote, for many people of faith, exercising religion is essential, especially during a crisis. The Commonwealth of Virginia has offered no good reason for refusing to trust congregants who promise to use care and worship in the same way it trusts accountants, lawyers, and other workers to do the same. End quote. Do you realize this entire distinction in many places between essential workers and non-essential workers? That's an unconstitutional distinction. Who, who are you to say my business is non-essential? I wanted to share this with you because the Lighthouse Fellowship Church, they sued the governor of Virginia. <laughs> saying that we're not going to stand for this. And the Department of Justice has agreed with them. Wanted to let you know that. Many of you are aware that in Kansas City, Missouri, which should not be confused with Kansas City, Kansas, those are two different cities with two different governmental structures, diff not structures, but different person, different mayors, different city councils, etc. Well, Kansas City, Missouri Mayor Quentin Lucas, he originally issued an executive order that he called the 10-10-10 rule where he said, and, and, and by the way, the 10-10-10 rule only applied to churches. <laughs> if that is not textbook, Religious discrimination. I don't know what it is. Sounds like the Greenville, Mississippi mayor. Well, Governor Quentin Lucas's 10-10-10 rule stated that if you're going to go to church, you could only have no more than 10 people in the church at the time or 10% of the building's capacity and that the people who are present cannot be there any longer than 10 minutes at a time. If they exceeded 10 minutes, the mayor required the churches to take the name, address, and phone number of any person who entered the church and stayed longer than 10 minutes. His reason? Because they are people who have a higher likelihood of transmitting the Wuhan flu. So we need to be able to track them. That's what he said, y'all. Go and look it up for yourself. That's what he said. 
That's what he said. Only, only for churches. Nobody else. Now, I've told you, restrictions, they must be temporary. They must be in response to a widely recognized emergency, and they must be equally applied. The very fact that you have regulations that apply only to churches and to nobody else, you, right out of the gate, you're violating the Constitution. Well, Liberty Council, our friends at Liberty Council, uh, contacted the mayor. And there's some, if you don't get dig into the details, it may seem like it's a win, but it's not really. So the mayor said his 10-10-10 rule, the last 10, you know, the turning in the names and the addresses and the phone numbers so you can get a nice little knock on your door. Hi, we're from the government and we're here to help. <laughs> Why are you coming here? Because you went to church longer than 10 minutes. Can you imagine the type of intimidation that would Im that will result in for a lot of people? Well, the mayor has now backed off the last part of his 10-10-10 rule only to this point to where it's no longer mandatory for the names and the addresses and the phone numbers of the parishioners who attend church longer than 10 minutes to be turned in. But it still is voluntary. Still, it still is voluntary. And I'm saying, sir, you're still violating the Constitution. I'm so glad that you've decided to put your Gestapo stick down. You've taken your brown shirt off for the moment. <laughs> for the moment. But, uh, sir, issuing a new executive order that still requires you and I forgot to add this in. If you were having a religious gathering outside, you could have no more than 50 people. That's for weddings and for funerals and for other things. No more than 50 people. Well, sir, you don't impose those kind of limitations on anybody else. Certainly there are often there's more than 50 people in the garden, lawn and garden departments of Lowe's. You have more than 50 people. This 50 person limit doesn't apply to any secular gathering. So why would you apply that to <laughs> religious gatherings and the mayor also said the reason why he joined us to church is because he considers churches to be quote non-essential services can you show me that in the constitution see this whole business of essential versus non-essential none of this is constitutional verbiage that's people's opinions and the American people because we're prudent people we'll go along with that for a while but when people begin to realize that the original bases for a lot of these things were to flatten the curve, to make sure we don't overrun the health system, well, people know the health system is not being overrun. And you have people that are in, 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 in Home Depot and other stores that their numbers greatly exceed the rules and restrictions you're trying to put on churches. But they are doing it. They are doing it. And what I'm saying, and I'm going to keep saying this, that in many ways, the perception of the world around us, of the church as being non-essential, has been aided by our neglect of making disciples. They don't understand 
the benefit to their community for the presence of a robust Christ-worshiping and Christ-following community. Now, don't get me wrong. They're completely wrong for doing this. And also, please know that <laughs> these are the drum beats for persecution. You can hear it coming. Just to give you a little, a little bit more of the just the, the absolute lunacy that is going on in our country. You remember a while ago when I talked about Neil Ferguson? Were you here when I talked about Neil Ferguson? Neil Ferguson is he's a very intelligent man. He's an epidemiologist for the Imperial College of London. He is the one who created the London model to begin with that projected the, mat, the millions of Britons and, and the million Americans that who would die from the coronavirus. He is one of the primary people responsible for the aggressive measures taken by the British government, locking down their citizens and uh, employing aggressive physical distancing measures and all of those things. Well, did you know that Neil Ferguson stepped down from his position advising the British government this week? Do you want to know why Neil Ferguson stepped down from his governmental advisory position? Though Neil had greatly advocated for strict and staunch sheltering in place rules, it was discovered that Neil Ferguson wasn't complying by the rules he advocated for. He welcomed a married mother of two repeatedly into his home to carry on an illicit affair. The woman is known as a left-wing activist and all of these things. But at the very same time where he's telling all the, the, Brit, the British people to stay inside, don't leave, don't go anywhere, stay physically distanced, he's carrying on an affair. One of those do as I say, not as I do examples. So he felt that he was so compromised personally, he could no longer carry on in his position advising the government. You can't get any more hypocritical than that. I mean, that, that's just rank and blatant hypocrisy. Well-timed bell. And to add insult to this injury, the woman has now come out saying that she's not sorry for uh, carrying on the affair. She's not sorry about it at all. And I'm, I'm just saying, folks, these, these are the people... <laughs> <laughs> these are the people who are telling you stay at home the, the, the sky is falling why he's y'all get the point y'all get the point this, this is he's not the only one I can go through a list of public officials in England who are doing the same thing we have Americans when you had the communist Bill de Blasio telling everybody else to stay in place. This dude is going on strolls. <laughs> He's going on strolls in the park. You know. You got, you got, you know, Fredo Cuomo. He's making a whole show on CNN about, oh, I'm sheltering in place. Oh, doing it. Turns out this dude wasn't staying in his house. 
He got caught by somebody on the street saying, don't you have the coronavirus? What you doing outside? He got all mad and huffy. Man, <laughs> I'm telling you that our country is in, is in desperate need of the true substance that makes a nation great. Yes, I want the economy back ripping and running. Yes. Listen, I, I got investments too. I want my investments to do well. Yes. But a booming economy does not make a nation great. It doesn't, folks. It doesn't. That's a good one, Antonio. I talked about that one. Antonio on Facebook said, yeah, the mayor of Chicago. Nobody can get a haircut. Stay at home. I mean, just this weekend, she was yelling at kids at a park. Kids at a park. Y'all go home. Do you, you want to go and get your grandma sick? Why, she, nobody else can get their haircut in Chicago, but she can get her haircut. And when she got busted, she said, oh, my stylist had gloves on, and we both had masks on, and, and we were very careful. Why can't anybody else in Chicago be careful? So you are the only one. Then she said, well, I'm the face of the city. I'm the face of the city. I'm the face of the city, so I got to look pretty. But nobody else can. This, 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 is, this is crazy town, folks. This is crazy town. Not to even mention how scores of immunologists and epidemiologists talk about, you know, if we want to have robust immune systems, it's probably not the best idea to keep people inside, cooped up, and isolated from one another. One of the best things we need to build robust immune systems is that we interact with non-harmful bacterium. What happens when we stay isolated for too long, your immune system diminishes. And then guess what happens? You become even more vulnerable than you were before to additional <laughs> bacteria. Folks, these, these people are so thirsty for power. Do you think they're going to give it back? Do you think they're going to give it back? That's why I implore you. We live in a nation of the people, by the people, for the people. Let us be about our father's business and not solely engage in civic duty, but let us be about the disciple formation that God has called us. The views and opinions expressed in this broadcast may not necessarily reflect those of the American Family Association or American Family Radio.